Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. Welcome in to the WAC Podcast post-WAC Vegas tournament. Rachel Vigil and Eric Danner coming at you. Eric, I cannot believe that Vegas is already over with. I feel like it flew by the entire season. It's come and gone, Rachel, and what a tournament it was. And it did take a little longer for us to get back home, I should say, than we anticipated since we are in Denver and experienced a blizzard while we're in WAC Vegas. Took a day or two longer than we expected, but uh, home safe and sound in our homes again. But yeah, what a tournament. Yeah, and it flew by, but uh, a lot of excitement packed into a short amount of time. It was starting off with like the men's teams. Let's talk about that really quick. I want to start in that first quarterfinal game, the New Mexico, or excuse me, the Seattle U CBU game. This was expected to be really close, Rachel. Yeah. And it wasn't as it turned out. Uh, Seattle U coming out on top 83 to 66. Darion Trammell scoring 26 points. We kind of expected that. Nate Robinson, I'm not sure we expected to score 27, though. So, and, and a very balanced effort as two other players scoring in double figures for the Red Hawks, and they really took control early, and uh, they they cruised to victory in that one. I feel like that was kind of a trend that we saw in WAC Vegas, where every single day we went in, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a really close game, and then it just weren't. Like, one team was either hitting their shots, and uh, I will give credit to a lot of teams, though, that they were shooting and they would go around the rim and then it would just bounce out. So I don't want to say that they were making bad shots, but it just wasn't falling their way. But that first game, you're right. Good. And congratulations to Seattle U on winning that one. And then they end up falling to Grand Canyon on Friday night. In the semifinals, and they played so well the night before. I think everyone thought, hey, that's going to be a really good one. And Grand Canyon wins by the widest margin of victory in a semifinal in 26 years, 81 to 47. And, and they went pretty deep in that game as well. And kind of the case for GCU during the tournament, Rachel, was their bench. They really got a lot of production off their bench. Bench chance McMillan scored 14 in that. Gabe McLaughlin scored 14 in that as well. And they, and they both played well in the championship game as well. But when GCU gets production off the bench to go along with that great starting five that they have, they're pretty tough to beat. They are. Before we get to that championship game, let's go to the other half of the men's bracket with UTRGV New Mexico State. Obviously, a hard game for UTRGV to come out and play after the passing of their head coach, Lou Hill, back in early February. Uh, were you kind of expecting this result, Eric? New Mexico State was playing so well. Uh, they swept Dixie State coming into the tournament, UTRGV. You mentioned after the passing of Lou Hill, they, they really had trouble finding their footing, especially without Sean Ray, who had been their leading scorer uh, before that time. So it was uh, probably not an unexpected result, but, uh, you know, your hat's off to UTRGV. First time we got to see them in person, uh, you know, they had the chair for Lou Hill with his picture on it, and all the players go by, you know, and touch the chair, touch the picture, or his jacket. Uh, so so just a, a, what an amazingly tough season for them, uh, I have to imagine that there had to have been a lot of emotion come out at some point, you know, during, you know, after the game or something like that. An interim head coach, Jay Stedman, uh, emotional even before the game. Uh, he was sitting on the bench and had a few tears when they did a, uh, a or I, I don't know the correct phrase for it, a jumbotron type thing. Uh, 
where you could just tell he was very emotional, wiped a few tears away and then walked in with the team. So they waited for the team to leave and he chose to stay out on the court. So um, a celebration of life for coach Lou Hill though, and all that he was able to do. Moving on now. State took control early in that game and, and were able to play all 14 players. They, they brought on the trip and, actually were able to get a little bit of rest maybe for their starters. Nobody went over uh, 21 minutes in that game. So they, they were able to win that one. 77 to 61 was the final. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the semifinals. Another game that I thought was going to be super close. And while there were a couple runs that made it a little bit close, uh, New Mexico State still comes on top over Utah Valley, 78 to 62. This was one, uh, maybe that was a little bit of a surprise for folks since Utah Valley was the two seed. They had the benefit of the bye, but New Mexico State got a lot of momentum going in that first game. And Donnie Tillman, who had played at UNLV, so obviously very familiar with Las Vegas, comes out and scores 23 points in just 21 minutes. And that really set the tone for the Aggies, who were up 32-23 at the half and and really put the hammer down in the second half and controlled Fardaz Amak, the WAC Player of the Year, the WAC Defensive Player of the Year, zero points 0 for 7 from the fields a tremendous job defensively by Johnny McCants among others and they they were able to win and advance to the championship which is old hat for New Mexico State but this year Rachel they didn't get to play a single game in the state of New Mexico and to see them take advantage and and be able to you know they had to play on uh in the first round they had to play in the semis and then go on to the championship game uh what a get, what a season for them. Obviously, they didn't get it to the big dance as they had hoped, but uh, what what an effort by the Aggies this year. What an effort. And, you know, moving into that championship game for New Mexico State and Grand Canyon, huge props to Johnny McCants because he played every single minute up until about 10 minutes to go. And I think they were down 12 or 15 points at that point. And you could tell he was exhausted. And one of the things a lot of people talked about in that game is how New Mexico State looked like they had played two games already where Grand Canyon had not. So, I mean, I have to give major props to him just for staying out there. And you could see the sweat dripping through his beard too. Maybe he shaved the beard a little bit, <laughs> to allow a little bit more breathing room. But I mean, he played his heart out and he's done that year after year for the Aggies. He really did. And I think that was pretty clear that they were they were exhausted uh, by that championship game uh and but they they do play a a very uh, intense brand of basketball and they usually play a lot of different players so i know chris jans likes to keep the guys fresh and and play you know 10 guys deep but what a great job by bryce drew coaching his team up i mean remember last year gcu was under 500 and uh you know they go through a coaching change from dan marley to bryce drew a lot of guys come back, Oscar Frere, Alessandro Laver, Mikey Dixon, Fawn Blackshire. Fawn Blackshire they, they all come back and all had a huge role in that victory in getting GCU to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. And so excited for the Lopes, Rachel. And I uh, can't wait to see them play in the big dance. We also got to see the Havocs a little bit. Uh, we, we had limited attendance at the tournament 125 for those first round matches and first round games and then 250 for the tournament felt like a lot more than that though in the uh, orleans arena with the havocs there oh my goodness yeah i was a little worried that the atmosphere was going to be a little bit down obviously there's not a lot of people but even the 150 havocs that were there maybe 200 
they can definitely fill an arena with noise. So it was great to see them out there and have fun and congratulations to them. I'm sure they pretty hard in Vegas that night, but yeah, a lot of fun and uh, congratulations to Grand Canyon. They'll now head off to play Iowa in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Javon Blackshire picking up the tournament MVP, which, uh, when you think about Grand Canyon, I mean, that, I just mentioned their, their great starting five that they have. Maybe he wasn't the guy that you would think of first as Bjorn Midgard was right up there for player of the year, got newcomer of the year, Alessandro Laver, the, the senior. Uh, but it was Blackshire who really came through in the clutch for mm-hmm. the Lopes. And I think if they advance, if they were to advance past Iowa, they're, they're going to have to have another collective team effort and those guys off the bench that uh, can not, not only provide energy, but provide some scoring. Mm-hmm. I look forward to watching that game come Saturday. I believe 4:15 Mountain Time, correct, Eric? I'll have to double check on that, Rachel. But I know it's Saturday since we had the daylight savings thing. I'm not quite sure. Now Phoenix is on a different time zone than uh, than Colorado, so I'll have to double check on that. We will look forward to that game no matter what time it is on a Saturday and best of luck to the Lopes who are already in Indianapolis because that's how COVID times go. You go from one tournament straight to the next and uh, safe travels and everything to them. Looking at the women's team now, uh, let's start in the quarterfinals, Eric. We'll start with the first game, Seattle U, New Mexico State. How surprised were you by the result? Well, we, we knew uh, New Mexico State has a history of playing well in the tournament, but so does Seattle U. So that was one... I thought might be a little bit closer than that. 56-46 was the final there. Uh, New Mexico State getting a, a great effort from a Shania Harper at 15 points and 13 rebounds in that game. Um, maybe a little lower scoring than, than I expected in that one, but uh, you know, a 4-5 matchup, that's always going to be tough. You mentioned, funny how you thought it was going to be a little, or it was a little more low scoring. I figured for their second game, Chicago State, Utah Valley, that Utah Valley would maybe get up into the 70s, maybe the 80s there in that game. And they still stuck in the 60 rounds. So props to Chicago State on playing some good D. Yeah, Chicago State, they only played seven players, which has been the case uh, much of the season where they only go six or seven deep. So that's always been an issue for them, especially when you get to the second half of a, of a game that they aren't able to, you know, uh, hold that lead or, or, you know, that's when the, the other teams take off. We saw Utah Valley won 15 to five in the third quarter, uh, but Chicago State came back and won the fourth quarter. So props to them on that effort. And Nadia Thorman McKee, 18 points off the bench. She had been uh, starting most of the year. Uh, Coach Tiffany Sarden uh, making that move to bring her off the bench, maybe give the team a lift. And certainly it did. And she, she had a great game there, but Utah Valley, uh, 15 points for Maria Carvile, and then Madison Grange coming off the bench to score 13 for the Wolverines, and they are able to get past uh, Chicago State in that first round. Game three, Grand Canyon came out with something to prove that they deserve to be that number two seed heading into WAG Vegas, 67-54 over UTRGV. They they come out and they they were very impressive. I, I know the crew. We had uh, work in the game. We're, we're very impressed in that particular one with GCU. Tierra Brown scoring 16 points, maybe not getting all the fanfare of Katie Scott, also a freshman. But I mean, you talk about a bright future for a team, Rachel, mm-hmm. with two freshmen like Tierra Brown and Katie Scott, just tremendous players. And they really uh, took control again, as as it seemed to be in that first round where the, the games might have been closer on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but it felt like GCU was in control the whole way. 
Mm -hmm. Moving on to the semifinal game between Grand Canyon and Utah Valley. Probably the best game, in my opinion, of the tournament, just because it was so close. There was so much on the line for both teams. The emotions were really high, but Grand Canyon comes out on top by three points, 57-54. And this was the biggest storyline of the tournament where it was determined before the season started that whoever was the highest seed of CBU to win the tournament, they would go to the NCAAs regardless of what happened during our tournament. Now, I don't think anybody foresaw what played out here, Rachel, because obviously GCU, UVU were very close in the standings and uh, GCU didn't get to play the full schedule because of COVID related uh, issues. And if they had, they, they may have finished ahead of UVU. So there, there was a lot going on there, but mm -hmm. to, it was also a great game. GCU comes out on top. As you said, it was our, our best game of the tournament, 57 to 54. Uh, it was back and forth. And Katie Scott uh, scored 18 points in that one. Tierra Brown scored 15. And Molly Miller uh, did a great coaching job this year, as did Dan Nielsen. Uh, mm -hmm. let, let's not forget about that, because I think there's a lot of uh, hate being thrown uh, Utah Valley's way for going to the NCAAs, which, uh, you know, obviously CBU can't go. And this was this decision was made before the season. I mean, it's uh, it, it would have been uh, that way if the, if the rules had been reversed. But uh, that's that's how the uh, proverbial cookie crumbles. But uh, GCU advancing to the championship. And if they had beaten CBU, they would have gone to the NCAAs. And I think major props too to both Molly Miller and Dale Nielsen in saying that CBU deserved to go. It's unfortunate that they can't go, but they definitely deserve to go with their perfect record, 24-0 right now. And so that's a nice little segment or segue over into that other semifinal game with CBU putting on a dominant performance over New Mexico State. We, we've seen it all year that uh, Coach Jared Olson does not take his foot off the gas. He's mm -hmm. much more subdued, I think, when we saw him in person than we thought uh, he might be. I mean, because you never know until you see him in the gym and and how they uh, players interact with him, very uh, you know low key on the sideline there, but his team is not low key now. Keep in mind, Rachel. Remember in this one, they were down early, they, they were losing mm -hmm. fifteen to seven at the end of the first quarter. They came out ice cold, and so they really turned it on in those last three quarters to win seventy nine to fifty four. Caitlin Harper scoring seventeen. Taylor Wu uh, coming off the bench to score thirteen, and I think. There are a lot of players on the bench for CBU that came in and were big contributors and, and also on the starting lineup that maybe don't get the fanfare. Uh, Tiana Neal, the championship, uh, Sydney Palma, uh, Georgia Dale, they, they have a very deep roster and uh, word has it. I, I don't know if this is confirmed yet or not, but some of these players that who are seniors might be coming back again next year with that uh, COVID exception. So it'll be interesting to see if this keeps going uh, on and on, but uh, they're in the WNIT this week. We'll talk with Braden Bell in our last segment, the play-by-play -play voice for CBU about uh, their trip uh, to uh, Fort Worth, where they'll be playing the WNIT against New Mexico. So even uh, more of a chance for CBU to make a name for themselves this year, even though they couldn't go to the NCAAs. Winning is very contagious, so I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them did decide to come back to redo that year. Uh, looking at the championship game now, though, a game I thought was going to come down to the very last shot, if I'm going to be completely honest, Eric. And uh, California Baptist never took its foot off the break there, 78 to 60 over Grand Canyon. Yeah, and it's amazing. Ani Oleta, the, the WAC player of the year, only averaged six points 
a game in those in those two tournament games and wasn't on the all tournament team. Caitlin Harper makes the that uh, was the MVP, I believe, in the on the women's side there. So, what a uh, performance for CBU in the championship. Katie Scott did score twenty one in the uh, championship, but again, it felt like CBU was always in control of the game and and they win the tournament. They get to celebrate that, even though Jared Olson again subdued and humbled and. Uh, didn't seem to, you know, I, I didn't see a Gatorade shower or anything like that anywhere along the line, but what a job he did and and just a very special team to watch. Mm-hmm. And props to Grand Canyon too. You know, early in the podcast, I said that there were some teams who were putting up a lot of shots and it would just go around the rim. And I felt like that championship game was that. They made good shots. They just weren't falling for them. So uh, props to Molly Miller and the entire team there for putting putting up a good fight and yeah I mean major props to Grand Canyon or excuse me California Baptist on just continuing that win streak and heading and representing the WAC and the WNIT. Can't wait to see that and then Utah Valley uh, gets to play in the NCAAs uh, they uh, will play Stanford <laughs> it's not an easy task uh, as is the case most years uh, in on the women's side mm-hmm. especially you know Stanford has been the opponent uh, several times I think since I've been in the WAC in our first round, I remember New Mexico State when they had a very good team playing Stanford in the first round, maybe four or five years ago, and gave them a pretty good run. Uh, they wound up losing, I think it was single digits at the end of the game, but they were they were in contention that whole game. So hopefully we can see a similar effort from uh, Utah Valley this week. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch both of the postseason tournament plays. I'm very excited, even on the men's side too with Grand Canyon. So best of luck to all those teams. Stay safe while traveling finish this season strong. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, men's basketball with uh, GCU and their play-by-play voice, Michael Potter. We used him during the WAC tournament. So Michael's an old friend of ours, and, and we'll talk to him next on the WAC podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Jenner, Rachel Deal, coming at you with Michael Carter, the voice of the Grand Canyon Lopes. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great, as you can imagine. I was going to say, I mean, you've spent a lot of time with this team, so this is kind of an opportunity and a win for you, pretty much. Well, it's great for the kids. I mean, you know, especially some of the stories on the team getting to the first, you know, NCAA national championship tournament for the school. Um, of course, they'd won NAIs, but never something, you know, at this level. And then a couple of kids, especially, I mean, Alessandra Laver, been there for four years, putting in the sweat and the, and the tears. And then Oscar Freyer, who couldn't play last year for some academic reasons, but went back, got his grades up. And now for those guys to get to uh, see it through is, is really cool. Michael, I, I believe last year the team was under 500, but uh, and then a new coach comes in. A lot of times we'll see a lot of players transfer when that happens, especially nowadays, uh, players transfer anyways. But so many stayed, Javon Blackshear, Alessandro Laver, Oscar Frere, and they were such key roles in this team. What was it about playing this year that kept those guys around? I think it was two things. That's a great question, Eric. I think it was two things. Number one, they love the school. I mean, it, GCU is, I, I like to joke and say, it's not bad to be a student athlete at GCU. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, you got a lot of resources. You got the havoc. You got President Mueller and Jamie Boggs putting a ton of energy and effort into making 
uh, it great for the student body and the student athletes. So it's, it's not a bad place to be, number one, and they all love the school. But then number two, you know, Bryce Drew came in and he told his coaching staff, the first thing we have to do is recruit our own kids, you know, because we've got to have a good team. And, and uh, so they set out to recruit their own kids and they did a nice job with it. And their pitch was simple. It's like, we're going to build a family. We're going to build a team. We're going to put others first and um, we want you to be a part of it. And, you know, it resonated with the guys. So I think that the love of the school itself, what GCU is and what it's been to them over the years. And then Bryce Drew, just um, his honesty and uh, his transparency just kind of drew them in. You mentioned the Havocs. So it's a conversation that everybody has when they talk about Grand Canyon. So you're obviously, they've had uh, fans in the stands at, in Phoenix. You've heard the noise that the Havocs can make. How did that compare to what you heard in WAC Vegas? Oh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I thought WAC, the WAC did a great job of allowing some fans in. I was really impressed with how they ran that tournament. Um, it, you know, is almost a little bit of a home court advantage for the Lopes because they had more fans and they had louder fans uh, up there, but I thought it was great. They let them in. Um, still not anywhere close to when it's full capacity at GCU, but um, I think at GCU, they did a fantastic job of, of trying to make it as close as possible. And I thought the WAC did a really nice job of letting the fans and, you know, piping in some noise as well, but really letting the fans be close to the action. Um, and uh, so, so not as much as, as you guys have probably experienced when you've come down to GCU, but um but I thought they did a really nice job this year. And even Bryce Drew and them, they, you know, Bobby Hurley came in from ASU and said, this is the first time it felt like we actually played in front of a real, real crowd. This actually felt real to us for the first time. So a lot of the, a lot of the other teams were really appreciative too, which is a double-edged sword, you know, it gets them amped up a little bit. <laughs> I remember Chris Jan said the same thing after you guys played New Mexico state there. Now you get to did play New Mexico state in the championship. You played Seattle U in the semis had that buy in the first round, which, I mean, from a, a person standing back a little bit, it, it seemed like in that championship game, and you're calling the game, uh, it looked like New Mexico State looked like they were playing their third game in, in three days, and GCU looked more fresh. But part of that was the, the production they got off the bench, which is uh, something maybe, uh, you know, they didn't get the entire season, but uh, in particular, those two guys off the bench, uh, Gabe McLaughlin and Chance McMillan, really played well in this tournament. Yeah, you know, we got it early off the bench. I mean, Bryce was playing, you know, nine, 10 guys deep trying to figure out what to do. And so the two guys you mentioned, Gabe McLaughlin, Chance McMillan, Jaden Stone, uh, another freshman, McMillan's a freshman too. And then Sean Miller-Moore were really the four guys coming off the bench doing things. Um, and then it went away. Uh, and we were kind of like, what's happening? We were, you know, scoring 17 to 25 points off the bench. And then it went down to two to five, you know, and it's tough to win when your scorers have to all come from your starters. It's just a big ask. Part of that I think was due to, you know, the 19 day layoff or 20 day layoff, whatever it was uh, in February. Um, but yeah, they came alive. Uh, Jaden Stone still hasn't got to play much because he had that layoff plus he had an injury, but those two guys came up big. And then Sean Miller Moore is one of those interesting guys because his numbers don't jump out at you, but he does impact the game when he's in there. But you can't say enough about Gabe. I mean, getting to play again after having the injury last year, being a hometown boy from, from uh, you know Phoenix, and then uh, Chance being a freshman in that situation was pretty amazing. When you saw that the Lopes were going up against Iowa, what was the first thing that went through your head? They're going to be really big and really scary, and uh, I want to see this Garza kid. You know, I mean, if he's all that, you know, let let's see him. Um, the second thing that went through my head 
was um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you know, when you go there, we talked, you know, maybe you get a 14 seed. Maybe if you're lucky, you get a 13. So a 15 was a, maybe a little disappointing, but it's like, honestly, at that stage, you just want to play a really good team that's going to bring some eyeballs to the, to the TV set. And, and, and they're going to do that, you know? Um, and I think a little bit excited, right? Because they got a big and we actually have a big this year, you know? And I know he's, there's a lot of bigs in the big 10, but um, we actually got a guy that's a legit seven footer, you know, grown man, 265. So we won't get just shoved around in there uh, that much. But um, my first thought was, this is going to be super exciting. And my second thought was, oh man, they're going to have a lot of firepower. <laughs> We're talking with Michael Potter, the radio play-by-play -play voice of Grand Canyon University. And when you talk about that big, for Grand Canyon as Bjorn Mitgard, and he was the newcomer of the year, first team all whack. Uh, Rachel and I talked in our previous segment uh, about how some of the players you maybe expected to have the huge impacts maybe weren't quite as big of uh, Javon Blackshire getting the MVP of the tournament, but uh, Mitgard uh, against Luca Garza, I think uh, yeah, everybody's going to be looking forward to, to seeing that. And, you know, he doesn't get to see maybe the Luca Garzas all the time, but there were some big guys in the, in the whack this year, uh, Fardaz Amak comes to mind and some others that uh, he's, he's been able to play against. So that'll be an interesting matchup to check out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Midgard has been the, the, the big difference, right, for GCU, this new coaching staff. They recruited him. They recruited their own guys, and then they recruited him to come from Wichita State. And Bryce had been on him down at Vanderbilt, you know, and lost him to Wichita State. So um, he's been fantastic. It is interesting though, like in the, it's like in postseason baseball, the teams that hit a ton of home runs and hit a lot, they, they don't do much in the postseason. It comes down to pitching and oddly in postseason basketball, it comes down to the backcourt typically. And, and, and that's why you saw some of those guys not have big games, some of those big. So it'll be interesting when we get up to Indy to see if we see that or not. Midgard's biggest struggles this year have been with the, I guess, more slender athletic bigs like a Colorado or some of the guys that New Mexico State could throw at him or even uh, Seattle, you know, and, and, and California Baptist with Gak, you know, uh, not as big, but very athletic. Um, this will be nice to have a guy kind of more his size, more his style to go against uh, in, in Garza. So that's going to be a very intriguing matchup, but you called it too. I think the matchup on the perimeter with Javon and Mikey and Oscar against their guys is going to be very interesting, right? That, I think the game's going to come down to that, to be honest to you, with you. Why do you say that? Just because backcourt play is so important. I mean, you, you look at, at, at Javon Blackshear Jr., as Eric mentioned, being the play, I mean, easy selection, right, for the player, the tournament. In two games, 35 points, 13 boards, seven assists, only one turnover in 58 minutes. If he can play like that and not turn the ball over and hit that mid-range jumper, um, honestly, it was a little surprising in the game against New Mexico State because typically they have an answer for everything we do over the last seven years, eight years, right? They didn't have an answer for that. You know, Gilliard had a great game. He played fantastic, but he had no answer for Javon Blackshear Jr., you know? And so it'll be very interesting to see when he goes up against a little taller guy uh, on the point uh, for Iowa, you know, how they guard him out there and, and, and how, how effective he can be and if he can get to that mid-range jumper and knock it down like he did against New Mexico State because then they got to come out and help out. And that opens up for, for, for not just Midgard, but Laver, who is kind of like the guy – you almost forget about a little bit, but then you look back at what he's done. He's going to be the third leading scorer in NCAA Division One history for GCU. So he's pretty good too. <laughs> he sure is. And talking about uh, GCU and uh, you mentioned uh, Arizona State and Bobby Hurley and, you know, Arizona's always, you know, thought of GCU is the only team from Arizona in the NCAA tournament. You're a 15 seed. You got the Bryce Drew, 
you know, they, it was the anniversary of the big shot. What was it 23 years to the day with them going to the big dance that he hit the big shot in the NCAAs. So I got to imagine there's maybe, maybe some uh, folks from maybe ASU, Arizona from around the, the state that are jumping on the GCU bandwagon now. Yeah, it's interesting. All the local local media down here. I mean, it's the only game in town still going and they're having fun with it. They're getting President Mueller on and Bryce Drew and Barry Butel and myself. And it's 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 kind of fun there. Usually they would call us and go, hey, we're going to talk ASU, then U of A and maybe NAU and then you guys. And now they're calling and saying, we just want to talk to you guys. <laughs> so it, it has changed a lot. And I, I do think there's a lot of folks. Um, there's a natural rivalry. We'd like to think with us and ASU. I mean, they're, you know, power five there big school they've got a great history so they probably don't think of us necessarily as a rival of theirs at all but there's a little bit of that um and uh but i think there's a lot of people that are just excited to see a an arizona team and it's hard to root against bryce drew i mean you hear his story you talk to his dad homer what scott's doing it's just hard to root against the guy so i think there's gonna be a lot of folks rooting for gcu from arizona one thing that has surprised me this season is that GCU doesn't fall away in the big games. A lot of teams, you know, it comes to this big moment and then they don't really show up. But I mean, that ASU game, you look at, that was a great game. The WAC tournament, I'm not going to lie. I kind of thought I was like, I don't know if they're going to show up for this moment. For the NCAAs, how do you make sure that you do show up for the moment? Yeah, I think um, they're riding a ton of confidence, right? I mean, the the, the last game they, they didn't really show up was that game against Utah Valley at home uh, for mm-hmm. the, had to win on Friday, but then they came right back Saturday and they played the three best games of the season in, in those three games, the win against Utah Valley, the win against Seattle, then the championship against New Mexico state. Um, so I think, you know, as hard as you do, you tr- you try to just sell it as, Hey, we're rolling. We're on a roll. We won our tournament. They didn't win theirs. You know, they're coming off a loss. We're coming off three wins. And, um, you know, everybody knows it'd be a massive upset, but but why not us? Our coach did it. Why can't we do it? And that's kind of the mantra that they have is, hey, why not us? We can beat anybody on any given day. Just give us one day and and give us a shot. So they're they're extremely confident. And I think a lot of it has to do with we do have some really good players that match up pretty well against them. Rachel mentioned earlier that they already are in Indianapolis, that they went directly from Vegas to Indy. Uh, you being the, the radio play-by-play voice, uh, what, what's your travel itinerary looking like, Michael? Well, I'm going to head up uh, Friday, uh, and then um, I'll head home uh, Monday after we beat Oregon, and then I'll head back up there again for the Sweet 16. There That's you go. The <laughs> Lots yeah, of travel up, in your future. Uh, yeah, I'm heading up Friday, and, um, you know, the team has gotten to practice a bit. You know, it, kudos to the NCAA. It, it's a weird year, right? Super cool. I mean, normally they'd come home, they'd be with the Havoc and everybody at the arena for the selection, but NCAA put them on a charter, flew them up there, got them to the hotel so they could get the reactions, got a police escort to the hotel. So the kids are loving it. I mean, it's crazy great for them. So it's different, but the NCAA is doing a really good job trying to make it exciting for these guys, even though there's certain things they can't do. And you watch the stuff coming out and just them, they're loose, they're having fun, they're really soaking. And I think that's the message from the coaches and the administration too is, Hey, this doesn't happen all the time. So soak it in. We want to be one that gets there every time, but soak it in, you know, enjoy, enjoy the heck out of this. So much fun. So jealous. I wish I was getting a police escort to go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, good for them. Well, Michael, thank you so much for hopping on with us. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a blast. Thanks to the WAC. Like I said, I thought it was a great tournament. Weird, weird year, but the WAC did a fantastic job pulling that tournament off and we're excited and we'll, we'll represent as best we can. Can't wait to see it. All right, Michael Potter coming up. Or 
just kidding. Michael Potter finishing up, and we're gonna have Braden Bell, the voice of CD Women's Basketball, coming up next. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC Podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast, Eric Daner and Rachel V. Hill. We're talking women's basketball. We're now joined by Braden Bell, the play-by-play voice of CBU basketball. Braden, welcome to the show. You know what, guys? It's an honor. Uh, big fan of the show, and I've been waiting <laughs> since I started at CBU to be invited on. So we're finally hey. here. All it took was a conference championship, and now, now I'm part of the club. I'm excited. Yeah, only a conference championship and a 24-0 record, Braden. Yeah, it doesn't take right. much to get on the show here. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that. CBU winning the WAC Tournament Championship. Now, uh, to get, get everybody up to speed, uh, CBU in transition from Division Two to Division One. So the NCAA puts in rules saying within the first four years, schools are not eligible to go to the NCAA tournament. I think the reason for that is, is they don't want too many schools going D2 to D1 or D3 to D2 or NAIA to D3, you know, whatever it might be. Unfortunately, you know, that uh, probably shouldn't be applying to CBU because obviously the Lancers are the best team in the WAC by winning the regular season, by winning the tournament. Uh, we heard that from Molly Miller. We heard that from Dan Nielsen and uh, what, what a season it's been. But uh, as far as the feeling there at, at CBU after winning the championship, now going to the WNIT, is there, is there a lot of angst that the, you didn't get to go to the NCAA or is there a lot of excitement that you do get to continue in the WNIT? I'd say it's a mixed bag. I mean, I'd be lying if I, if I said that, you know, people aren't disappointed that they can't go dancing in the NCAA tournament. Of course, that's the goal of every team that starts out and plays the sport. Um, but the thing is about this team and talking to them, even, even just last week leading up to the WAC tournament was that they had two goals in mind left and, and they knew from the start, obviously that, that they couldn't go to the NCAA tournament, but their two goals left were, was to take care of business in Vegas and then go win the WNIT. So you know, obviously it's, it's not ideal. And, and this team doesn't play like a transition team. Um, you know, it's, it's a fun style of basketball and, you know, the results show that they're very solid um, all the way through from the top of the roster to the bottom. But, you know, I think when you have a coach like Jared Olson, he doesn't really allow you to complain about the uncontrollable. Um, he's so calm. He's so, he's so poised on the sideline. And that's evident if you're, if you're just watching the team, but but talking to him behind the scenes and, and seeing the way he coaches, um, it doesn't change whether they're playing a non-D1 in, in December at an 11 a.m. start time or if he's coaching the, the conference championship game in, in Las Vegas. It's, it's always the same in terms of his demeanor, and I think that has a, a real strong effect on the roster. And, and in a way, that probably helps dealing with the disappointment of not being able to go to the NCAA tournament because it's you know being thankful for your opportunity um, to play with your teammates and this team clearly loves playing together. And I think, uh, you know, of course it, like I said, everyone's just disappointed for sure. But uh, you know, the fact they can still go to the uh, women's NIT is still a nice opportunity. I love that you brought up coach Olson's like demeanor, because that was one thing I said to him. I was like, coach, you are so humble. I want you to take a second to brag on your team. And he still really wouldn't, you know, he kind of gave me that, you know, we played really well. We've done really well. I'm really proud of him. However, you have been able to call some of their games. I want you to brag on them for a second. Why are okay. they so good? Well, first off, that was uh, very brave of you to ask that question because I, I try over and over and over again. I'm like, coach, I'm, I literally preface questions with, all right, I know you're not going to want to answer this, but just for me, give me a soundbite, please. Um, he still won't do it. But, 
Yeah, I'll brag on him. I mean, I, I heard someone behind me, and it was actually a havoc in the GCU student section um, at halftime who was not very pleased about the, the WAC championship game, describe them as shooting like the Golden State Warriors. And I hadn't thought of that. Um, that first half was obviously nuts. They, they made 11 threes in the first half. But, uh, you know, I, I think the ball movement and the overall flow and tempo of the offense is something I haven't seen whether it's men's or women's basketball at the college level in a long time, it's just so smooth. And the, the phrase like selfless basketball, I think gets tossed around a lot nowadays, but this truly is selfless basketball. I mean, when you have on Aleta, the player of the year preseason and, and through the whole season only averaged six points per game in the WAC tournament and four and a half assists. So that's like half of her season numbers. And you still win both your games by 18 plus that shows that like you're very balanced and you don't rely on just one person. Um, you can have anyone step up at any moment. So it makes it really fun to watch because it truly could be anyone at any time. And then you put together the ball movement, um, the passion they play with. You can tell they truly love each other um, on the floor and, and off the floor as well. And so it, it's just a pleasure getting to watch them. And, and I know that's not really getting too deep into the X's and O's, but they, they really just play the game, I think, the way it's supposed to be played in terms of team basketball, and it, it's awesome to watch. We're talking with Braden Bell from California Baptist University. And watching uh, and having a chance to, to be in WAC Vegas and watch Coach Olson and the team perform as our first time seeing them in WAC Vegas this year, it, it, it amazed me how calm he is. You mentioned, and Rachel mentioned, how humble he is. But the team plays so intense – a lot of times you see a coach that will be super intense during a game, but coach Olson is, does not appear to be intense. Maybe there's, maybe there's something else going on there, but how does he get the team to be so intense and focused on the floor when he's so calm? You know, that's actually a really good question. I, I think that it comes down to the leadership they have on the team and, and he trusts his players and, and there is no behind the scenes change for coach Olson. Like, they could be practicing and you walk by the gym and you're just going to hear the ball bouncing on the floor. You never hear yelling. You know, he, he doesn't raise his voice hardly ever. It's very rare to see him uh, be upset about anything. So, it, you know, there's no behind the scenes change as far as coach Olson goes, but I think the focus uh, derives from the senior leadership. So the Brittany Thomas, the, the Ana Aleta, the Georgia Dale, those are the three seniors. But I mean, you also have, Caitlin Harper, who's a big part of this team. You've got Sydney Palma, who, you know, is only a sophomore, but has done great things. I could go down the list um, all the way through the roster, but there's a lot of leadership as far as in the locker room goes um, from the players. And that's obviously always a big sign. And, you know, I, I don't think you go perfect or undefeated, I should say, in, in any sport, just by having a good coach or good players. You have to have a little extra something, um, whether it's whether it's chemistry, whether it's leadership. And I think for this team, they kind of have a perfect blend of all those things. Um, you know, I mentioned how they really, really get along. So I, I don't want to say, you know, they can they can coach themselves because obviously Coach Olson is the coach of the year in the conferences and is an excellent coach. But I, I think this team is is so, so poised and, and together as one unit that the intensity is honestly fed off of each other. And you, and you guys got to see them at their very best because in a way – because you couldn't play in the NCAA tournament, that, that conference championship game, you know, was, was everything um, to us to, to prove, to validate, not only that, that CVU is, is a great team this year, but to show for other transitioning teams in the future, perhaps 
Um, but that, you know, here we are, we just went undefeated and, and we still can't go dancing. So there was a lot on the line and you guys got to see them laser focused, but it wasn't like that was completely out of the ordinary. They're just, they're just locked in each and every day. To be able to have that perfect record, you have to start from the very beginning. Where have you seen the Lancers really improve throughout the season? That's a really, another really good question. And I mean, there's been, there's been points. Um, I, I think back to the Pepperdine game, which was a really close game, San Diego state early in the year as well, a non-conference game on the road against a pretty good team in from a mountain West. That was a really tightly contested game that went down to the very end. And, and that was a big win. Um, I mean, there were a few points in, in non-conference, but then honestly through conference outside of the, the GCU game that went to overtime in Riverside, the first one, um, and then the next day they clinched the regular season title. This team hasn't had a whole lot of run-ins with close games through conference schedule, at least. Um, there was one game where it, it felt like a loss uh, just based on the performance of the team and, and the, uh, the reaction of the team after. And that was uh, one of the games against Chicago State midway through the conference slate. But I, I mean, this is giving you a politician's answer and kind of dodging the question, but I don't know if there's one specific moment where I was like, wow, this team's really good. Like they expected to be good. And then they kind of just went out and showed it game after game. And sure. There were moments, like I mentioned, Pepperdine, San Diego state beating GCU um, big in, in overtime. And then I guess one more would be that first opening weekend of conference play against Utah Valley, who obviously is representing the conference in the tournament and, and a very good team at the top of the league and, and CBU just blew them away. Um, in, in that first quarter of that first game, they were up by 20 after a quarter. Um, and, and they basically had one of those shooting quarters like we saw in, in WAC Vegas as well. So there are so many moments you can look back on that, that stand out, but I just named like six for you. But, um, you know, I, I think that it, you could list way more. That's the thing, because there's just been so many cool moments throughout the year where you're like, wow, this is this is special. Yeah, I wanted to add to that, Braden, that the Pepperdine game, of course, the half-court shot that Ani Oleda made, I don't know if that was a, you know, a, a sign of things to come potentially, and that was at the end of the first half, wasn't at the end of the game. But uh, going back and looking at that GCU overtime game and the play that Ani Oleda made where she kind of dribbled like, you know, uh, Curly Neal from the, from the Harlem Globetrotters through the team <laughs> and then laid it in, was one of those kind of special plays when you're going 24 and 0 that that has to happen. Let's talking about Ani Oleda this year, and that she was Player of the Year, and that she only averaged six points in the WAC tournament, which goes to speak about the unselfishness of the the entire team. Brittany Thomas also maybe didn't have her her best games at the WAC tournament in terms of statistics, but Caitlin Harper winds up being you know MVP. So and there was other players who came up big. So there's so many players on the team that can step in. You mentioned Sydney Palma too, that this is, is one of the most unselfish teams I've ever seen. Yeah, no doubt. And we didn't even mention Tiana Neal who had oh, the, yeah. the career high performance in the title game with 21 points. So, uh, but going back to, to Ane, one of my favorite tidbits of information about this roster that, that you would have never guessed uh, just watching them on the floor this year is that coach Olson says when, when Ane got to campus as a freshman, under-recruited, kind of just took a shot on her, a 5'4 guard from Spain. She was a ball hog, and he openly admits that, that she played selfish, and it was hard for him to get her to pass. And now we watch her now, and you see the growth throughout her career. I was shocked when he told me that. I wasn't at CBU at the time when she was a freshman, so I didn't get to see her play. But when he told me that, I was like, 
you're 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 joking. Like th there's no way with the way she plays now leads the country in assists and and uh, just the the style of basketball she plays, the ultimate quarterback out there on the floor. But that shows the growth that that she's gone through in her career um, to to completely have a handle and you know only the six points per game. But I think it's one of those deals where the numbers kind of lie a little bit because even though she wasn't scoring, she still had a tight grip on on that game in my opinion, watching it. Uh, she had total control over the offense. Everything was still running through her, orchestrating everything. Still the main uh, culprit of, of dishing the ball out from the start of possession. So yeah, she wasn't scoring, but again, it leads back to that. That's what makes them so good is that she doesn't have to be in order for them to be, to click, to click at a high level offensively. So uh, all the different weapons were, I, I sound like a broken record, but I think still, even when she doesn't score, I think things still are running back through um, Ane, and, and she does a brilliant job of that. How has Coach Olsen been able to keep this team very humble and have a chip on their shoulder almost? Technically, like a lot of times a team can go into a big moment like this and not perform knowing that they have this record and maybe they get a little cocky and they're like, oh, we got this no matter what. How has Coach Olsen been able to just keep it so that they just go out there and play their game of basketball? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you mentioned the the attention and the headlines. Of course, there's been a bunch of articles written about them now. They've been on Sports Center. got a shout out for Maria Taylor in the selection show yesterday. So there's no doubt, like, you can't hide from the record. And I always think it's funny in sports when, when people say, well, we're not paying attention to that. We're just taking it one day at a time. Like they're paying attention to it. They know it's special. Um, I mean, again, I think it goes back to the top where coach Olson is so humble that it's hard for anyone else in the program to get cocky. Like after, I don't know if I should totally share this, but I will because, uh, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but after the game and in, in the locker room, coach Olson started his, his talk by saying, you know, I'm not a big guy. I'm celebrating. Well, you just won the conference tournament championship, like obviously. So that just like is, is a sign of, of how coach is. And, and it's great. It's, it's, it's unique and it's, it's, it's genuine. Um, but I, I think in the team has talked about this, they never really felt a target in, in Brittany Thomas's opinion, at least until the final season or the final series of the regular season. Um, you could say the GCU series, which was the second to last when they clinched the regular season. Uh, but, but GCU was still playing for the conference title at that point too. So they didn't really consider it a target on our back. They considered it, this is the number two team in the conference or, or one of the uh, top teams as well. So the Seattle series, they admitted, felt like there was a target on their back. And, and I think uh, you might've seen a few jitters in that first quarter against New Mexico state in the semifinals when, when statistically they had one of their worst quarters of the entire season. Uh, they shot at just two for, I think it was 19, two for 17. And, and I was like, is, is the sky falling? Uh, but then they turned it back on. Um, but, you know, so I think, of course, there's been a few moments where behind closed doors, they've, they've been able to reflect and, and realize how special the season's been so far. And, and maybe they felt pressure here and there, but certainly didn't show against GCU in the title game. And it certainly hasn't shown much um, this season at all. They've been pretty, pretty locked in and focused. Well, the WNIT is up next. March 19th is the date of the game against the University of New Mexico. So you don't get to the postseason uh, and then have to play uh, play play anybody who's not any good. They got a, the Lobos coming up who have had a very good season. What do you see in that game, Braden? 
a lot of points. Uh, New Mexico averages 81 points per game. And I just started diving in with my prep uh, last night. So don't know a ton, but here's what I do know. They love shooting the three ball. Sounds like CBU. They score a lot of points. Sounds like CBU. So it's going to be fun to watch. I definitely recommend tuning in for it. Um, and, and they're the Mountain West regular season champs against the, the WAC champs in the regular season and in the tournament as well. So two very good teams. Uh, New Mexico had a year similar to New Mexico State where they, they didn't get to play at home. They were on the road nearly the entire season. They were actually playing in West Texas. So they've had to deal with a ton of adversity. So it's really impressive that they were able to still have the season that they had. Uh, but it seems like it's going to be an up and down game um, all the way through. A lot of good shooting, a lot of good ball movement. They average 18 assists. We average 21. So it's going to be a, a pure fluid basketball game. And that's like you said, exactly what you want in the postseason. You don't want to, you don't want to buy per se. And certainly the Lancers aren't getting one. It's going to be a really good challenge. What have you heard from the team about their thoughts on the matchup? You know, I haven't had the chance to uh, to talk to them just because it happened so recently. The selection was late last night, actually. But uh, just judging off of what they've been saying, even before the matchup was announced, they're they're excited. They're pumped up just to to continue to try to roll on with this. They know this is special, and that you know you might never have a season like this again in your life, and, and most likely you're not. Uh, just judging and and how sports work, you're going to lose every once in a while. So. They just want this ride to continue as long as possible. They're pumped up to still be able to play uh, despite not being in the NCAA tournament, you know, so the excitement's there. Obviously they respect New Mexico and in the program they have and the success they've had this season, but you know, it's going to come down to them executing uh, CBU always feels that way. And, you know, it's going to be exciting for them. There's no doubt about that. And uh, like I said, I think it's more so outside of the matchup outside of the tournament, it's just an opportunity to play with each other again. And, and they love doing that in shows. Last question for me, Braden. We, you mentioned Maria Taylor giving CBU a shout out. And uh, I know uh, Sports Center they showed highlights of our championship game as well. Uh, in previous years, coaches tended to uh, dress up a little more, shall we say? A guy wearing a sweatshirt <laughs> doing this podcast right now. But Coach Olson uh, broke out the T-shirt in the semis and yeah. he, he did dress it up a little bit at the long sleeve t-shirt in the finals. Is there any rhyme or reason? Is there a uh, good luck charm to his, his wardrobe that uh, might be helping the team this year? It's COVID casual. I think we can all attest to that. Right. I mean, I, I basically wear sweats every day now when I'm working from home or if I'm just sitting at home, uh, my, my level of, of formality on my wardrobe has declined like this since March, 2020. So you know, I haven't asked coach that. Uh, I feel like he'd probably give me a weird look if I asked him about his wardrobe, but maybe I will. I, I, I'll, I'll write it off on uh, COVID casual. Yeah, he's, he's just lounging. I mean, we didn't have any fans in the event center this year. Our games were at 2 p.m. So everything was weird. Everything was off and he was keeping it comfortable. And hey, hey here you go. The team plays comfortable. So he's he's looking comfortable. He's, he's rocking the Adidas uh, sweatpants and T-shirts and and as sneakers and, and the team plays like they're loose and comfortable out on the floor as well. So I, I don't know if it'll be a thing next year when hopefully fingers crossed fans are back um, in at least some capacity, hopefully by next season. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that was funny as well. I definitely noticed that. And then you had Molly Miller on GCU side, very, very formal. And, and it happened on the men's side as well. Uh, some coaches were polos, others were suits. It's, it's a weird time to be uh, in college, college basketball.
It's working for Coach Olson, okay, Eric? You I gotta mean... believe it. It's working. <laughs> Don't mess yeah. with the like. <laughs> yeah, the mojo. Yeah, just leave it as it is. It's obviously the working. lucky sweats. The lucky sweats. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing it this weekend, Braden. Thank you so much for hopping on the Black Podcast with us, and best of luck against Mexico. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at waxsports.com.